Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. Episode 17 of Drive-by Cinema. I'm one of your hosts, Rick, and here's the other one. Uh, hi, I'm Paul, and uh, I'm glad Richard knows the number because I'd have to be counting on my toes. Episode 17. And what are we watching this week, Richard? This week's film was... Colour Out of Space. Colour Out of Space, uh, which apparently is based on a novel or a novella by H.P. Lovecraft, is it not? Yeah, I think Lovecraft mostly dealt in short stories. I think this is sort of like a 30-page book. Oh, so not even a novella. Yeah, it's quite short. A short story. Now, Paul. Yes. It's confession time. Oh, oh, God. I know usually I'm reporting on listener feedback Telling you where you'd gone wrong, according to listeners. That's well, 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 well. wait a minute. You mean there are real listeners? I also assumed it was you just making them up, Richard. On some weird ego trip to demean me and belittle me. What, just because I keep promising Alice is going to come on the podcast and he, he never has materialised? Well, I mean, it would be great if we could have uh, an Alistair appear. An actual appear. human. Yeah. <laughs> if we could have an Alistair appear. Uh, I know there are rare species. But uh, yes, please, Alistair, if you're listening somewhere out there in the ether, do come along and join us for very little, little chats that we have online. Sorry, you had a confession, Richard. Yes. I do have a confession. It has been the case that I have made the odd mistake on publishing the podcast. Uh, uh-huh. I think two episodes ago, I well, it's longer than that, wasn't it? But I put the wrong description up. I got a bit confused about which film should be in the title. It happens, and, and it's no reason to t- start taking medication, Richard. So so you carry on, <laughs> as you were. <laughs> but last week's episode, I made a much worse error oh, because okay. I uploaded the wrong audio file. Oh, was it? It wasn't anything squeamish, was it? Well, it might be. It depends what you said, because what I uploaded was only your recording, your side only. And unedited, it was everything that you'd said. <laughs> How long did you do that for? <laughs> well, I noticed relatively quickly, uh, but there had been, I think, already four or five downloads. Oh, dear God. Now, yeah. if, they, if they therefore download again, will they change what they downloaded? Well, this is the thing, actually. Is it stored in a cache? If they refresh, delete and refresh... And they might have to do something called refresh from RSS feed or something to get it to really refresh it. Then, yeah, they'll get the new version. I'd advise you to do that if you only heard Paul in the episode, uh, episode 16. I'm gonna, I've taken steps to avoid this and in future edits, <laughs> and I advise you to do the same. I'm going to make a special directory of the ah. final cut. And only oh. take things from the final cut Oh, I have to say that the way I organise files is rather like the way I organise my sock drawer. Oh. Is, is yeah, that a good thing? Everything. No, just everything all over the place. Anyway, can I use my minute of corrections to talk about microwave toasters? Oh, God, you sent me this YouTube video. Yeah, I'm really you? excited. I'd be really stoked all week about this. It was Ashens and some other bloke. Yes. T- trying out. And I, I never knew they were Breville fans, but it seems that they now are. Or rather, they're Toasty fans. So this is an accessory, is that the right word, or what, a utensil that you put in the microwave? Yes, and it gives you Breville toaster-like qualities. Uh, I mean, it's amazing that you can put bread in the microwave. It is, but without having to paste the outside of your bread with butter, laboriously. Oh, no, they did that. Did they? Oh. Yeah, they, oh. they buttered the other side, oh. the opposite side. Oh, of well, that's, that's the trouble with toasters, generally. No, but if you could put that entire bit of kit in the dishwasher afterwards, you can. It's plasticky. Yeah, it's it'd like, be fine, wouldn't it? Yeah, it must. It must have metal in it. Surely, it needs to be able to get hot and toast the. It must do, but it seemed to be of that kind of bendy, kind of plastic stuff you can turn inside out, kind of stuff. I can't. Silicon. Is it? I don't. It's like a silicon plastic, often in quite lurid green. You can flip it. You can. You know, the the innards can be flipped to the outards kind of thing. It sounds exactly like the kind of long-chain hydrocarbon you want to put in contact with your food as you heat it up before. <laughs> Doesn't it? Uh, well, <laughs> the other option you have, instead of the, this wonderful new toasty invention, I kind of recommend toasties to everybody. I, let, let's start calling them Blackpool Pizza, if we can do. Uh, <laughs> because I, we do ourselves down too much in this country. I mean, what's so great about pizza? It's a, an admirable, evolved peasant food. And so are toasties. Why should we elevate the exoticism of Italian peasant food 
above our own. What's wrong with the humble toasty? Nothing. Is your contention the to- that the toasty is a British invention? Uh, an Anglo-American invention, I would say. Or it represents Anglo-American culture. Okay. But you have problems with it, and, and I, they're quite legitimate. The first is that... Uh, <laughs> that they're not it, that good. It, stop. Stop right now. Are, are microwave pizzas that good, Richard? No, but... Are, are the little one-pound pizzas that good that you yeah, get? Yeah, but microwave pizzas are there for Ginster's a reason, pizza. are Are Ginster's pizza, pizzas that good? If Ginster Pizza's. makes pizzas. Oh, pasties. <laughs> well, I mean, if Ginster were to make pizzas, would they be that good? No, they, they wouldn't, wouldn't be would that they? good, but they would be convenient. No, well, there we go. Presumably you'd be able to heat them up in a convenience store. Well, anyway, so I know you have some problems with Breville toasties. The first is that the Teflon material tends to, might just be coating the outside of your hardened tortoise shell. They taste funny. And the second, and the second being that you get a strange hard, what was the material you called it? Brevelite material? Sort of a hard, <laughs> sort of almost outerworldly kind of hard bread material forming around the edge where the crimp Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's because you're putting the, the toughest, thickest bit of bread, the crust, around With the edge and then com- compressing two like rounds of it down into a much smaller a volume tiny, tiny. with butter. Well, that's the nature of the seal, the nature of the crimp. Yeah. Yeah, and it forms this material that science has not yet found a way of, you know, making a well, dent on. You know, lasers do you object? Off it. Do you object to the Cornish pasty crimp? Because it's just there to hold it with, yeah? Well, yeah, you're not and, necessarily supposed to eat them, are you? And you're, you're not necessarily to supposed away. to eat the Breville crimp, are you? Oh, oh, okay. It's there to hold it while it's hot. Must you burn your tongue? But that's the other problem, isn't it? That's the only part of the the toasting <laughs> that's at temperature that can be eaten by a human being. Ah. Now, what do we call the roof of the uh, the palate where you burn yourself on cheese? The roof of your mouth, yeah. 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 We call it the pizza yeah. ridge, don't we? So pizza has the same <laughs> propensity to burn you. I mean, hot cheese is hot cheese, is it not? Yes, but a toasty has that quality. I suppose a calzone would do the same. Whereby you don't realise quite how hot it is until you're bitten into it. Ah, ah. So you're saying it's simply a food for aficionados. Look, a Breville toasty is a device which lives on the top cupboard, of the kitchen cupboards. And <laughs> every now and again you bring it out thinking, oh yeah, it's a long time since I've had a toasty. And you go to the effort of making one and then you realise why it was on the top shelf of the cupboard. A bit like a KFC, I think, in that respect. In that you forget how bad it is until you have one and then you realise you never want one again. Same with pizza, surely? No, pizza is... Terrible. You could eat a pizza... You could eat a pizza once a week and not be concerned about it, I think. Because a good pizza is good. As it's a good Breville, you just never made one, Richard. Perhaps. In the video you sent me, they yeah. put a chicken korma in the in the Yes, toasty. yes. I've been putting chilli con carne in. I, I really can recall. With rice? Yes. With, yes. with the rice. Okay, that's shocking. I, I mean, that's a lot of carbs. It is. Anyway, I can see you're not convinced, but I wouldn't encourage our listeners to embrace a resolute and healthy patriotism, and, and if they're from the UK, and go and breville people. Yeah, it's a lockdown right food. I mean, I can't deny it. And I might be tempted. Do you know where you can get those microwave toasty things from then? You mean Pop-Tarts? No, the ones oh, that you the saw machine. in the Oh, the little, the little gubbins. I don't know. Yeah. No, Because it is fascinating that you can put bread in a microwave and then come out with toast. That's interesting to me. Is it? I, think. I don't know how they do it. But, so your Breville is next to your Christmas food cupboard, Richard. Is that right? Yeah? I don't have a Breville, Paul. Because but I'd come to if this you with... did, would you put it next to your Christmas food cupboard? The food cupboard that you buy things early in October and November in order to eat on, on Christmas? Christmas Day. It would be somewhere out of the way. It would not be taking up countertop space. But my question is, do you have a Christmas food cupboard, even? No, I'm not quite that organised. Uh, I did have a place where I put the kind of uh, spirit liqueurs that you would never <laughs> want to drink, which I think is the same kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, you had that kind of place. Well, I have that kind of place, and it being lockdown, what it... It being lockdown, this is lockdown behaviour, I think, is because uh, normally I don't touch it. I just keep the stuff in there. I don't particularly want to eat mince pies, for example. I don't particularly want to eat Christmas pudding. Oh, I love mince pies. I don't like Christmas pudding. I know, but I wouldn't want to eat them before Christmas. Uh, however, this year, 
I've been performing what I call my early raid count. That is when I preemptorily preempty my kitchen, my Christmas food cupboard in my kitchen to eat before Christmas. And the count is now 29. Oh. I've eaten 29 items out of there. <laughs> yeah. A slice of Christmas cake is, is, is counts as an item. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I think this is lockdown, isn't it? Lockdown has gone on for far too long now. It's ridiculous. I can't even not touch the uh, the Christmas cake food. The Christmas food, sorry. And you know what else has gone on long enough? This introduction. So. Yes. Cue the music. Right. Well, colour out of space. Colour out of space. What do you think about this, Richard? Did you like it? Interesting, eh? German, black and white, I thought. Very moody. (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm talking about Nicolas Cage. Ah, yes, that's right. Last week I did say it was a Nicolas Cage movie, but when I watched it, oddly, he wasn't in it, perhaps because he's not German enough. (laughs) So you're saying there are two versions of this movie? That's the joke I'm angling at. Yes, there are two versions that I found on Prime. They're both an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft short story. I watched both of them. That's dedication for you. Wow. And did you prefer one of them? Oh, well, I think or did the you lesser, Nick Cage one. Or did you lesser disprefer one of them? It's maybe the better way to... to, to, to. I think the Nick Cage one is a, is more interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a weird quality to... The German one is, is relatively new. Uh, it, and they set it, ah. I think, in the 1970s. Although it was very difficult to tell. I mean, there was a guy driving around in a 1970s-looking car, but there's a lot of very period-looking costumes in it. Is it set in Germany? Yeah, they end up in Germany. Initially, they do start off in Arkham, you know, in the in New England, which is a, a Lovecraft setting, a standard, you know, kind of Lovecraftian thing. Because uh, have you ever read any H.P. Lovecraft? I haven't, no, but I'm sure... I'm sure I have seen some, like, adaptations on, on screen. He's very influential, right? He's had a big impact. Yes. On but nobody's ever watched him. So on. <laughs> I don't think there are very many very straight adaptations. And there may be a lot of reasons for that. But latterly, I think, he's, I think we may be starting to see He's the sore bellow of horror is what you're saying, yeah? I think he like, is... Like, people quote him, but everybody hates him secretly. I think he's a bit like the Stephen King of his day, and oh, or rather Stephen King really? is the H.P. Lovecraft of modern era. I see. His stories come out of like a, a shared kind of universe, like a, a Lovecraftian cinematic universe type thing. In the same right. way that, you know, uh, a lot of Stephen King's novels take place around a place called Castle Rock or called something, isn't it? Castle Rock and Amityville, Rock, surely, or something like that. Well, Amityville's a real place, wasn't it? A real place, but it's like Amityville, but fictional, yeah. Yeah. I think H.P. Lovecraft has some problems. I think he was a massive racist. <laughs> but wasn't everybody back then? Oh, well, we're no. only talking about the, the early part of the 20th century, you know, 1920s, wasn't it? I think everybody was a horrible racist back then. That's not true, though, is it? It's long after the abolition of slavery. Oh, was he for all that kind of stuff? I mean, he was really, I think he was a really bad, terrible racist. Yeah. Oh, Oh dear. If my understanding is correct. To be honest, I've not read very much Lovecraft myself. <laughs> and any that I did read, I can't really remember. The German film sets this in a kind of rural foresty area. Yeah. In this particular incarnation, the one that we watched, the Nick Cage version, they live in the middle of what at one point the sun describes as, you know, 12 miles of ancient forest. And yet it's a farm, isn't it? Which is, it a, is a strange farm, place yeah. to. Put a farm. I don't know what you farm. Well, not just any farm, an alpaca farm. Well, he certainly <laughs> kept a small number of alpacas, which are very valuable, according to Nick Cage's character. But can't be milked. And you have to feed them what? fennel to improve the flavour, apparently, of their milk. They can't be milked. They're difficult to milk. Oh, they just don't like it. Which reminds me of a very famous poem. In the field beyond the pasture lies an introspective cow. She's as lonely as she's lovely, and she has a wrinkled brow. The bulls all think she's marvellous, for her coat's as smooth as silk. But she's shy and keeps her legs crossed, so she's difficult to milk. (laughs) How charming. What's the difference between an alpaca and a llama? Yes, is the answer. (laughs) Oh, you don't don't know? I've got no idea. I mean, they look kind of similar. I think think llamas might be bigger and and less agreeable. 
we're kind of heading towards synopsis, aren't we? Here because we mentioned Nicolas Cage. We mentioned what he does. He lives in the forest with his family, raising alpacas. Immediately, bells should be ringing for people who who, who watch films before. I'm just hearing Manon Dessos with Gerard Depardieu here. You know, I don't know if anybody else is. I'm vibing that right now. <laughs> it didn't occur to me. No, what does he do? He is a bit of an alpaca farmer. He also says he's an artist at one point, although we don't see any evidence at all of any of his now, art. <laughs> hey, lockdown vibe. His wife is a dealer, is a, is a stocks dealer or some sort of stocks analyst. And, and, and she's trading and dealing with clients via a really dodgy internet connection. So, hey, 2020, here we come. She's ahead of the game there, isn't she? Although it's a strange choice to make, isn't it? To decide to base your career on your internet connectivity and then go and live in the, in the <laughs> arse end of nowhere. forest. Yeah. Where there is no internet says, oh, connectivity. God. She says to her husband, my God, you've got to sort this internet out. It's like, well, what, what did you move there for? He's... <laughs> Rich, I have a question to ask you. Oh, I have a question know? to ask you. Do you think this is horror or is it comedy horror? Is it trying to become a comic? I'll tell you what it isn't. What it isn't is science fiction. <laughs> yeah, we build this as science fiction and it's not science fiction, is it? No. Well, I just thought Colour Outer Space, I mean, it has space in the name. It's got yeah. all the hallmarks of a science fiction film. Yeah. But yeah, it's pure horror. And obviously, it being a Lovecraft tale should have told told us that. And it's not that he doesn't ever have aliens, I suppose. But what typifies Lovecraft horror is his obsession with the Elder Gods, the creatures from the deep. Cthulhu is the sort of Elder Elder God, the, the, the sort of yeah. head of the pantheon, who is... A, Sort of undescribably, unknowingly, kind of, you know, you can't picture it. It's too horrific to... But he's just a big octopus, I guess, in another more real sense. But these are creatures in the deep who have had some kind of influence, eldritch influence over humankind. His stories are all about encountering that or finding artefacts or meeting people. Wow, I didn't know that. The opening scene is Lavinia, the daughter of that family, Performing some kind of witchcraft, which is very... Now, is it Alexandrian or Wiccan witchcraft? Is it Alexandrine? That's, well, that's what Ward says, or Wiccan. The, the, now, Ward, let's introduce Ward, because we're heading towards synopsis here, is the hydrologist. He's gone to inspect the reservoir, or what is to become a reservoir. They're going to flood some land or something like that, yeah? Yeah, and the German version had a similar story about yeah. a valley being flooded. So this must presumably be in the original story, the, which the I'm now thinking I, I should have read. but And maybe I will. But yeah, I guess that was part of the original story. It's quite an interesting idea. The coda to this movie, spoiler alert, is, you know, after they have flooded the valley and apparently, you know, whatever incidents happened during the film have been uh, submerged, it's, it's a nice way of ending the film, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, so Ward is a hydrologist. Lavinia is the lead, essentially, in the movie. She's the daughter of uh, Nicolas Cage's character, and she's well into her witchcraft. Now, you say at the end they, you know, they they flood this, they flood this 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 where the atrocity happens with the new reservoir, which is to say, I mean, this family kind of end up dead. Spoiler alert, don't they? Did they drink the Kool Aid? No. Did they drink the water? Yes, they did. But for me, it was comic. This movie became very comic about halfway through. It stopped being scary and became comic. Horror has that quality, though, right? A lot of yeah. horror is very close to being sort of funny, is it not? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, let me think. Let's think of examples. I mean, like Friday the Thirteenth with the guy in the mask. Yes, and Halloween—a similar thing going on there. The I see. Mask the- yeah, yeah. There's something kind of funny, but. The way it's played and the music and the mood, you know, makes it sinister as opposed to to funny in that context, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does indeed. It's perhaps not surprising that it has some comedic qualities. If if you're going to judge a horror, I suppose you're trying to judge it on the basis of whether it made you scared or not. Scared or not, yeah. That's a high bar, though. I don't really... It's a long time since I've found quite a lot of horror truly scary. I don't know. What about you? I don't know. I mean, discounting jump scares. I don't know because I have a friend and her daughter. Her son has just watched. Well, all her three children have just watched Harry Potter, the first, the first film. Uh, right. And the two younger ones are six and don't find it scary at all. Uh, but the older one, he's nine, and he was absolute 
absolutely terrified by it because he's got to the age where he's aware of things, you know, and he's aware of how scary it is. He knows what consequence is at that age, you know, and he's absolutely That's interesting, terrified Harry Potter. Yeah, wow. it, I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't let your kids watch it if they're only nine, by the way, because it is quite scary. I mean, but it's not scary for us at all, is it, Harry Potter? But you know, can films be scary? They they, they definitely can be scary, yes, if it's done well. We I think we've come to come, we, we we've done a synopsis by default there, haven't we? You know, we've got Nicolas Cage, his wife, and the family, three children, one of whom is into witchcraft, the daughter. Hydrologists come along. Hydrologists has come along to sort something out with a reservoir. And is there a moral to this movie, Richard? Is it be hippie and get some really bad cosmic karma? They're wind charms and dreamcatcher people, aren't they, basically? So Ezra is a squatter, and basically he's he's relocated from Slab City in California, obviously, you know, these unincorporated kind of hippie camps. I mean, he's living like that in the same sort of way. There's just a general hippie flounciness to everything they do. So is this a cautionary tale, a cautionary fairy tale that says, you know, be hippie-ish and, and get and get punished. Is it asking us not to not to step out of the quotidian, the everyday conformity that's expected of us? Is it, is it a cautionary tale of that nature? Do you think? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't expecting to have to grapple with the moral themes of the movie. Oh, oh I sorry. assume. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but I assume that Lovecraft is just trying to make things seem a bit Scarous. creepy and give you a bit scary. I see. Yeah. But maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe he he did, was taking issue with the idea of farming alpacas in the middle of a forest, which does seem like a stupid idea. When it is a stupid idea and a hippie idea. Let's not discount the fact that it is hippie-ish. Look, I mean, I have two favorite Hollywood games. The first one is the uh, the Kevin Bacon game by default, right? And which uh, people have played to death now, haven't they? And my second game is whenever Nicolas Cage is in a movie is the idiosyncratic method acting counts i.e. how many times in the movie does nicholas unnecessarily unnecessarily launch himself into into really hammed up very histrionic overacting <laughs> so maybe i didn't find it scary because i was just obsessed with watching how often nicholas did that and do you know how many times he did that in this movie richard i didn't keep count positive restraint only six times one time did one time did involve his signature method method overacting of pronouncing words in a really strange manner. <laughs> what word did he mispronounce? Uh, it was the one where he was telling his daughters, "Don't bother walking away. I will walk away." And he pronounced "walk away" as "walk away." <laughs> yeah. So well done, Nicholas. So what exactly happens in this? film we need to get to the point here Ooh, don't we? okay the plot well i don't, well, I don't know I a meteorite falls in their yard and it is no more than a yard or a garden that this farm has not before uh we've established a kind of love interest that never occurs between lavinia uh the daughter and ward the hy- visiting hydrologist and she rides off on horseback to her next destination which presumably is a timote advert <laughs> using a horse to get around is a lot of effort yeah, I mean, imagine going out, popping out down to the shops <laughs> on a horse. It would be a pain in the ass. But anyway, so they've kind of weirded us all out as viewers. And then they get weirded out one night when a meteorite falls. A meteor falls uh, and falls to the ground, therefore becomes a meteorite, right outside their house. It scares the youngest, youngest son, Jack, to death, to the extent that he becomes unresponsive and catatonic. You know, it's a common theme in Lovecraftian horror that... The things that people are experiencing is going to drive them mad. You're losing your sanity. That's one of the things that always seems to happen in Lovecraft-related yeah. stories. But, he, I mean, he doesn't really explore the idea of whether what they're seeing is true or not. I mean, it's obvious that it's all happening, but that it's not their madness that's driving these visions. The vision of what they're experiencing being real is driving their madness. Driving fairly, their madness. Yes, it's yeah. fairly clear, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Or it's not suggested it could be the other way around. The thing about this meteorite is, apart from its, you know, sitting there and making a mess in their garden, and yeah. apart from them poking it with sticks and stuff, it's two <laughs> things that there are two things that are happening. One is that it's polluting the well. I don't know quite how it achieves that, whether it's just through the groundwater or something. But it's yeah. clear we see several times that it, stuff is getting into the water. It's kind of like uh, unicorn-coloured stuff. It glows in rainbow. Yeah, it glows in rainbow unicorn colour. 
and that kind of yes. gets into the water. It's obvious the well is that color too, so it's obvious it's all come from the meteorite. Yeah. But the second thing is, this is what I'm going to say, is it is true to the name of the film? Is this unusual color? I think in the story, yeah, th- this color is supposed to be a new color, a new color. Yes, an eighth color of the rainbow. And in the Nick Cage film, Nick Cage lampshades this. He says, it's kind of like pink, but then he says something like, I, I can't really describe it. Well, you know magenta, you know magenta doesn't <laughs> exist, don't you? What? Magenta is the colour that cannot exist, but it does exist. What do you mean? How can it not exist? In terms of colour theory, and in terms of all the receptors in our eyes... Magenta doesn't really exist. It's just red and blue mixed together, Paul. Yeah, but our eyes invent it. Yeah, but... More than other colours. No, not more than other colours. All colours are invented. Yeah, yeah, but... But you can't mix red and blue and not get white. Yeah, you can. But when we mix... Well, we... You need... Because you need green to get white out of red and blue. You would have to take magenta and add green to it. Ah, but we don't have any green receptors in our eyes. Yes, you do. We've got red... Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, we've got three cones, right? We've got red, green, and blue. Anyway, look, I can't remember (laughs) it. She was saying magenta doesn't exist. No, listen. Who is saying magenta doesn't exist? I don't know. I think think what she's trying to say is it's not... Who? It's not two consecutive colours kind of thing. So, like, in any normal... I don't know what she's trying to say, but magenta who? doesn't exist. When you say she, who are you talking about? Uh, somebody on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't know. I'll have to research this and get back to it because this looks like an this looks like an error I've made, doesn't it? So it's a I, future I, error that you've made. Yes, I will. Clarif- I mean, color no, theory is really it's, interesting. It's a current, I think I it's do a current know error. I do know. You. I will either clarify or apologize next week. I do know what you're getting at. I might be able to help you out, actually. Yes. Uh, we'll I, it's, it, I'm vague about it, but I, 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 I understand why she's saying, but I can't remember the reasons. The thing about colours is that they are subjective, sort of arbitrary, in yeah. a way. A colour represents a frequency of light on the, the part of the electromagnetic spectrum that we can see, yes. running from the red up until the violet, just below ultraviolet. And that continuous range of colour is divided up rather arbitrarily. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Violet is not violet, violet is blue. Yes. Well, that's... So this is a point. All purple is actually magenta in reality. It's dark well, that... magenta, you see. Yes. So do you see what she's saying? The idea that we have this continuous spectrum to purple is not true. Actually, purple is, an, is a colour that doesn't exist as a, as a spectrum frequency. I think that's well, what she's trying I'm... to say. Yeah, let's come back to that. It's interesting, though, yeah, and, and it's true. There is no purple in the in the rainbow. It's just a very dark blue. Yeah, okay. The point is that... Indigo. Uh, when they named the colours of the rainbow, and I'm not sure who was responsible for that. Yeah. When they named them, there was some kind of numerology going on about seven being, you know, some kind of holy ah. number. So they chose to divide the colours that they see up into seven. But practically speaking, very few people can see the difference between blue, indigo and violet. You know, There's all obviously a darker bit of blue and there's obviously a lighter bit of blue, but it's all blue really, isn't it? Then women can. Um, then women can. Then women can do it well, better this is what us. you were saying, isn't it? So obviously humans, people have different levels of discrimination for colour. Yes. But the point about women typically the way humans see colour... Yeah, it does seem that way. And men, of course, famously far more likely to suffer from congenital colour blindness as a consequence of an inadequacy in their uh, retina. Yeah, so humans see colour through three types of cell in the retina, the red, green, and blue cones. Uh, These respond, roughly speaking, to frequencies of light around the red area, around the green area, and the blue area. But the red and green are quite close together in their frequency response. And they That's all right, respond yeah. to a range. To So they've got like a binomial curve, and they overlap. That's right. And the brain does really interesting maths where it extrapolates the overlap to give you the That's color. right. It's, it's very the clever, really clever. What the, how the brain does it. It's because of the red and green cone responses being so close together and overlapping quite a lot 
that means that it, it's quite easy to get red-green colour blindness, you know, lack of discrimination between ah, those two. That's all interesting. I'm, I'm sure I've got apologies to make next week. Do you remind me? No, Richard, no, if you you're quite right. Because as you say, if you look on a spectrum from red to blue, hmm. there's there's no natural place for, for purple. magenta to live. Magenta, yeah. Because... So that's why she was saying it's a made-up colour. Yeah. In the middle of the spectrum, you're going to find green, right? Red, orange, green, yellow, blue. And, you go, and whitey, whitey kind of colours. So the mixture of the red end and the blue end would average out around a greeny colour. Green, and yet yeah, we green see, yellow. We see it, but we see it as uh, magenta. So, so that's why she's saying it's a made-up colour. But like all colours are, in our minds, it is, sorry, in our eyes and our brains. They are constructs. Magenta yeah, yeah. Is, it is red and blue hitting our retinas and firing at once, giving us magenta. Whereas if you've got, which has a similar average frequency to photons that are in the green bit, but it's different, you know, because it's, it's coming from two different colours, isn't it? Yes. Our eyes work in a different way from, say, our ears. If I sit at a piano and play two different notes at the same time, you'll say, oh, that's a chord. And if you've got perfect pitch, you'll probably be able to tell me what the two notes I played were. But if you shine two lights at a white wall, you will see one colour and you won't be able to tell me whether it's been like one colour light that I'm shining or two different ones mixing together. Because the the eyes do this additive thing. They're very good at discriminating direction because we've got a lens and stuff. But unlike your ears, you can't tell what the formant frequencies are. You just see a kind of uh, a synthesis uh, of them too, like an integration of them too. Yeah. Wow. So a meteorite falls to Earth. Now a bo- a bolide, a bolide, a bolide is is that what you're saying? Well, a bolide is a very bright meteor. A meteorite is a right. meteor that has successfully, intactly, solidly fallen to Earth, not been disintegrated in the atmosphere. So it typically comes from an asteroid, not a comet, because comets are much more loosely composed. So Richard, launch off that and tell me what your question was. Well, the question was going to be, can you have a colour which, you know, has never been seen before? Is that possible? And it's not the first time we've seen this in a literary device either. Terry Pratchett has a colour of magic in a book of the same name. And throughout his Discworld series, there's a particular colour associated with magic called octarine, which again is the eighth colour of the rainbow. Wow. Could you have a colour that no one has seen before? Is a question. Oh, well, it's a moot point, isn't it? <laughs> I feel we need to move on because we've got to talk about asteroids. Yeah. This one meter asteroid, would it have done a bit more damage than it did? I think a meter, a one meter asteroid, yeah, probably would have done. But it was huge. I mean, apparently a 12 or a 15 meter asteroid would probably take out half of New York City. A city, yeah, yeah. So, that's right. You know, 12 times 12 times 12, this is, uh, you know, about 2,000 times smaller, it's going to take out the house, isn't it, at least, in the garden? But it didn't do. If it was really was as big as a meter, a meter across, yeah, is that what you it think it was? It was huge. It was, it was two I meters. I think it was maybe it was massive. half that size, I think, maybe. Oh, okay. Well, it just made a big hole in the ground and, and, and kind of smoked hot for a while. Anyway, not soon long afterwards, what, which, which animal goes crazy first, their cat or their dog? I can't remember. The dog go, gets lost, doesn't it? Isn't that right? Yeah, and then crazy shit starts happening. The stones. The well, Jack st- goes crazy first, doesn't he? Jack he goes crazy, and then and then kind of gets better. And then the storm happens. A huge rainstorm happens, and the stone, the stone draws the lightning from the storm. His phones stop working. Uh, weird ephemeral colours, as we were saying. Ethereal, sorry, not ephemeral. Ethereal and ephemeral. They're kind of fleeting colours from I don't know where come come up and the engine on the car stops working blah 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 the mum cuts her own fingers off uh what else happens oh yeah she does doesn't she that's a bit weird listen in the yeah in the nick cage movie here they depict this eighth color of the rainbow as just a kind of pink fuchsia maybe magenta whereas uh, and I thought that the German version of the movie was going to avoid the problem of trying to depict a colour no one had ever seen before by remaining in yeah. black and white. But actually what they did was it was black and white all the way through until they got to the bit about it being a weird colour. And then then they ah. showed it as pink. The only thing on screen is colour. So they did it. 
was, but it was pink. They did the clever thing of representing 3D in 2D kind of thing. Like, here's yes, a 3D, in a here's way. a 3D graph, but it's actually 4D because we've colored, we've colored bits of it kind of thing. Yes. Clever. That's yeah. a clever way to do it. Uh, so yeah, so let me tell some other weird things that happen. Uh, there's a Billy Groat gruff moment where they, they don't go over a bridge, but they either do or don't go down a well. And uh, the second son, the oldest son, Billy, does go down the well. Uh, I was reminded a lot of Eventually, uh, yeah. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Scooby-Dooby-Doo and the Magic Mystery Machine and Don't Split Up. They all split up kind of stuff. It, it kind of descended at this point, I thought, into quite generic horror. Uh, this is the weirdest moment. And then it kind of all goes apeshit. And the mother and the youngest son, Jack, somehow fuse into mm. into some weird alien because they get bitten by a ten-legged praying mantis type alien no, creature. No, 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 all, no. No, I think happens? what happens the first thing that happens is the alpacas all fuse together, don't they? In the barn. Oh, they all fuse together. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Nick Cage goes to see them. I think, or maybe Jack goes to see them. I don't know. But then the mother runs to Jack and sort of grabs him to protect him and. They both get zapped by lightning from the barn, I think. I see. That fuses them together. Together. And seeing all of these so. things clearly sends Nick Cage crazy. Meanwhile, Lavinia has also gone crazy. She started she started harming herself, you know, doing scarification. She she's she's cutting patterns in her skin. But not cutting her fingers off. What pentagrams. For a lot of this movie. Ward is the first character you hear from. He sort of narrates the opening with a bit of prose from Lovecraft, yes. as far as I can tell. Quite flowery stuff about the ancient forest and stuff, doesn't he? Uh, you see him go and see the family at the start, but you, you don't see much of Ward during most of the film. We're just with the family. And he pops in occasionally, doesn't he, to poke the me- meteorite. Yeah, I think he might be there. He might be in the raft the just masturbating over Lavinia. That's what I thought, <laughs> but, anyway. So for the, mo- for the most of the film... The only character you've got, I think, to identify with is probably Lavinia, because she seems yeah, I mean, like the most there, doesn't it? Doesn't she? I mean, you think she's going to survive, don't you? You get that impression, yeah. Benny, her brother, yeah. is a stoner; he's not often on screen. Jack is a little young. Nick Cage obviously is going to go mad, and poor Jolly Richardson is <laughs> lost in her in work and her internet problems. So, and chopping her fingers. I think off. you know. I think I think Nicholas was really stumped at this one. You know, he goes into the script meeting. He says, "Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I think we need to really make this big." And you know, and like, no, no, Jack, uh, you don't need to, Nicholas. You, you're just going to go crazy like you always do in movies. He's like, <laughs> yeah. wow, the perfect script for me. Exactly, anyway, this is the perfect script for Nick. Cage, like, he must have been disappointed and surprised at the same time. I think it's like, <laughs> but anyway, the hippie squat- squatter Ezra. I have an alternative hypothesis. He just put lots of acid in the water. You know what I mean? <laughs> Could this be the reason they're seeing aliens? <laughs> Is it, well, but why are we seeing Is that why it's all happening? That's question. Because like, Ward, the hydrologist, eventually, he tests the well water, doesn't he? He tests the well yeah. water. He finds there's something in it. Out? I don't. Well, he puts a bit of litmus paper in it. It goes like red. So it's, maybe it is acid. Yeah. <laughs> And then he runs to Ezra and to the family and tells them to stop drinking the well water. But it's all a bit late by then, really. But it's already it? too late for Ezra. Ezra has already mummified and being occupied by the aliens uh, whilst recording what he thinks about them. He says, I can hear them under the floorboards. But uh, he, that's on his old like uh, his old uh, cassette tapes. His old, I don't know what you call them. So real-to-real tape, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So he's gone. He's gone bonkers. Lavinia, as you said, has got late nineteen seventies Fleetwood Mac witch freaky on this shit. You know, she's just freaking out. The Apacas before they fuse are making sex noises. Are they? Yeah, in the barn. But it turns out they're just being harassed by an invisible alien alien presence. And yeah, it's all freaky. So I, you know, you would go bonkers, wouldn't you? Well, that's it. That's it. About and then Mum and Jack get fused, and they become the beast, literally with two backs. Is this a euphemism for sex abuse between mum and child? I don't know. Oh, that's a deep reading. I mean, it's certainly an effective bit of horror. Do you know? It reminded me a bit about the of the thing, John Carpenter's thing. Ah. Actually, I've not seen the new remake, but did it? Did you not get the same thing? You know, with the alien... I, I have one note. I, one, one hour and two, I'm, I'm writing slow-paced, slow brewing tension, but it brews a very weak tea. And then I just stop writing that because it just explodes one hour in. 
into all kinds of really quite graphic horror. I have to say, I like the special effects on this one. But I don't know if it's a thing or not. But it is... It's physically horrific. It's it's graphically horrific, this movie. But it doesn't suggest that. It just explodes into horror about an hour in. It's really slow before that. I suppose you've got to do that in this kind of a horror, haven't you? I think you're right. It becomes like a more traditional gory horror toward the end. Yeah. But they really do preserve the Lovecraft thing of it being a, a psychological torment. You know, you, you believe, as you say, you have to believe that they would go mad seeing the things that they saw. And... God love him, you know, Nick Cage does his usual go crazy really well, I thought. Well, yeah, I, I can see why he did go crazy in this movie, because he's got to feed his wife and son who are fused with whatever, potentially. The other members of his family. The other members of his family. And so he sent his daughter up to feed this horrific monster that's living in the attic. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can understand why the poor bloke has gone nuts. The other thing is, he's seen a very substantial reduction in the value of his alpacas. <laughs> Why are alpacas so valuable then? If they're difficult to milk, is it is it for their their pelt or their wool or whatever? Because um, you make those, I think you make those like ethnic hats with bubbles in the ears, don't you? Is that mohair? Mohair's from rabbits, Richard. Well, I don't know if it is. I is that what you, you make those them? like Patagonian hats out of? I'm just telling you what I know. I know that mohair is from rabbits. I thought that was angora. I think a- angora. Angora is from yeah. rabbits too, yeah? So you've got mohair and angora from rabbits. Maybe mohair is not from rabbits. Oh my god. I don't know. I've got so many apologies to make next week, haven't I? I don't know. When you're making angora but... or mohair, do you shave the rabbit or do you kill the rabbit and skin it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> these are painful, difficult questions that I have no answer to, Richard. Hmm. I was looking to you to help me with these biological questions. I don't know why. I can't. If you've if you've invested so much in your alpacas for some mysterious reason in your yeah. in your forest farm, then seeing them all fused together is going to drive you up the wall, isn't it? Ah, you don't see them all fused together. You only see half of them because half of them have flown or been knocked away in the, during the lightning strike to become fused with the dog and potentially the cat on the roadside. Ah, uh. because later on in the movie, when war comes to help us all, it's it's only by dint of discovering a, a fused mass, a second fused mass of alpaca, dog and cat in the middle of the road that they know that something's wrong. Yeah, they get the hint of something of something awry. So the lightning strike kind of <laughs> splits them and, and sends half of them flying flying a hundred yards onto the roadside, incredibly. Mm. But that's not what we're about. I wasn't, I wasn't sure that, that was alpacas. I don't know how you would tell that that was alpacas. Oh, really? Well, I don't know. I've literally no idea. I mean, how do you identify an alpaca in a fused mass of living flesh? <laughs> I don't know. But those special effects were what reminded me particularly of The Thing. Ah. It made me wonder whether The Thing might be regarded as kind of Lovecraftian. In its, I see. Uh, in its heritage, perhaps. I don't know. Perhaps. perhaps because not. it's the same thing there, isn't it? They find uh, like an alien thing under the ice when they're exploring. So presumably... Similar kind of idea. And the other thing it reminded me about yeah. was Annihilation. Because that's about, you know, like a meteorite yeah. hitting Pretty somewhere on, the, on Earth. Yeah, all that pearlescent pinky With, stuff again. Yes. Again, it's uh, modifying, changing the, the the life around it, isn't it, in a similar way? It is, yeah. Hmm. So there were themes Annihilation, here. Annihilation, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Themes that are e- echoes of it. Right. Instead, we're talking about mohair and angora. Okay, so... Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody's dying out there. It's a bloodbath. And the sheriff and ward discover some mutated co-joined flesh on a roadside and head into the forest to discover the family in various states of mutated horror. And uh, then it's ended by people using a shotgun to shoot everything. Is that not right? Everyone ends up basically dead except for Ward, don't they? That yeah. poor sheriff, he doesn't have much time to contribute, does he? He turns up occasionally in the odd scene and then he goes with Ward to the farmhouse and becomes a cropper. So how does Ward him. survive? He uses a shotgun to kill most of it and then what happens? I can't remember the ending. Yeah, he, he winds up with a shotgun. I can't remember actually. How does he stop? No. How does Lavinia die? But Benny jumps down the well... Jack and his mother yeah. are fused together, and I think they end up killing that abomination. 
Uh, I think Nick Cage gets shot, doesn't he, with a shotgun? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and he has something going on with his arms and his hands, doesn't he, during the film? <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember those scenes? He starts getting yeah. a really old, wrinkled hand. It's quite unpleasant. That's uh, right, that yeah. seemed to be in the German version of the film as well. So I'm guessing that was another theme in the story. It seemed to be something wrong with some guy's hand. I'm really glad you watched both versions of this movie, Richard. That is. I was just curious Beyond to see... the Call of Duty. I was really curious to see how they treated the colour thing and really disappointed yeah. to see, in a way, that they just made it pink again. Presumably that's how Lovecraft described it, as some kind of pink. I don't know. The pink that we'd never seen before. I was hoping to see a brand new colour, but it never happened. I don't have the cones for it. Oh. But, you know, there are some animals, like mantis shrimps, that have many more senses, uh, sort of light receptive cells than we do and they can yes. see into the ultraviolet for instance so they can see definitely see different colors than we can do they have consciousness though losers stupid unconscious animals are basically robots aren't they i don't think they have well do they see the color i don't think they do see it do they in that you're sense. talking about qualia here aren't you hmm. which is kind of bullshit as well isn't it i mean what is the sense of redness which is what you think when you see a red thing isn't it it's not it's not a big deal to explain Give me a break. Hmm. Yeah, but you. I mean, we're conscious, aren't we? I don't. I'm not sure that insects are conscious. I'm not sure they're aware no. in that sense. No, I agree with you. They are. Whereas I think dogs are than... aware. It's dolphins are aware. Parrots hmm. potentially are aware. I'm not sure about them. You know. Yes, they can see ultraviolet stuff, but do they actually see a color? Probably not. Wow. <laughs> But I don't know why they'd be any different from us in the way they perceive frequencies of light. Because they have no consciousness. I mean, they can't see it, can they? They can just react to it. Oh, sorry, right. You're talking about the shrimp again. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I thought you were talking about dogs and dolphins. Oh, no. Dogs can't see any colours, basically. They've got terrible colour spectrum. Dolphins can see with sonar, can't they? When they, they make those clicks... And yeah. it's like ultrasound. They do. And they can penetrate the sea floor and the bodies of fish and stuff. That's right. So, I think it's time to do the scores, Paul, don't you? Unless you've got uh, another observation to make. Uh, no, I've got nothing more to say about this movie. Look, I mean, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I did enjoy it too. I didn't like the fact it was so slow-paced ah. at the beginning. But I understand why it did that. Because yes. it did effectively build tension. Because it didn't stay at that pace. It exploded into a freakish grotesquery, you know, like a, 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 a Hammerville horror house of freakery, you know, something that would be only expected in sort of the worst corners of Madame Tussauds. It was just horrific at the end. And I like that. I, I just like the fact it was quite old-fashioned. Yes. Sense. Well, yeah, it's a Lovecraft story, yeah. Mm. And it was scary at times, a little bit scary at times. For all that, I liked it. What about you, Rich? What are your general impressions of this movie? Yeah, generally positive, I agree. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I think I would like to see a few more straighter adaptations of Lovecraft. Yeah. Obviously, this is brought up to date, contemporary era, with the internet and alpaca farming. (laughs) We're all doing it, it's the fashion. It's the rage this year, alpaca farming. Glamping, we're glamping too. Lovecraft stories are normally set in his contemporary era, the 1920s, yeah. I think, with yeah. sort of gumshoe detectives and reporters and I investigators. I, I'm not sure whether it's improved to bring it up to date, but yeah, uh, it worked, didn't it? I liked it. Yeah, that's good fun. I have to say I enjoyed it. Was there any science in it to consider, though? I knew this is where you were going to start off, Richard. No, there was no, there was little to no science in there. I mean, there was an asteroid that seemed to do very little damage when it became a meteorite. There was some faffy talk about colours that we can't see and new colours kind of stuff. Nonsense about radiation. Well, what I thought was fairly believable was how, you know, different hypotheses were positive when they didn't know what the answer was. And that... You know, they're positive, was it radiation? Was it something else? Was it minerals in the water kind of thing? When they plainly didn't know what was going on. So for exploring hypotheses uh, in, in, in an open-minded manner, I have to give them one mark or two, I think. Like Annihilation, they're looking at the idea of an alien life 
or species yeah. or something, but some kind of a, a, alien organism that is, you know, not like a little green man. It's completely alien. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And the way it, it goes about Did you its not like life that? is... Yeah, no, I like it. I, that's what I mean. The incomprehensibility Just like and, the un- yeah. and the intangibility of alien life forms. I thought that was... That is, in a sense, scientific, isn't it? Because we're not making yes. assumptions yeah. about what aliens could be. Yeah, it's trying to challenge your ideas of what what these aliens could be or what alien life might look like, which in this case is pretty horrific. <laughs> uh, well, those little flying things, I suppose, are all right. But down mark for the fact that shotguns can kill, you know, can kill and can stop all kinds of supernatural powers. That was naff. Down marked also, I thought, because when they tried to start the car that wasn't working, the Volvo. First yeah. of all, it's a Volvo. Sure, it's going to work. Secondly, he said that the battery was dead, but the aerial was rising up when he turned the ignition. <laughs> How did that Well happen? spotted. Wow. Yeah. But I think up mark for the accurate observation that alpacas don't produce as much milk as cows. <laughs> I didn't notice that observation. No. And we'll tell you next week about mohair and angora, if we can. When Shirley Richardson was chopping those carrots and ended up chopping her hands, her fingers yeah, off. Yeah, she chopped the whole she bone was, off. But she, she, she was using good knife technique. She was using like the claw <laughs> grip, wasn't she? I thought yes. it was surprising that she managed to do that. Yes. So that was a damn All in all, for science. Yes, I think that seemed unrealistic. So for science, all in all, I'm going to give it four. I'm going to give it four too. Below average. How about the acting? I am an inveterate fan of Nicolas Cage. And I do <laughs> love the fact he overacts and overacts in the weirdest, weirdest way. And he did all his trademark mispronunciation of things in order to convey something that nobody else knows about or could possibly understand. So uh, a good outing for Nicolas. I thought the movie suited him. Uh, everybody else was pretty good. I thought Ward, the character, was a little bit flat. Mm. You know, a bit, bit too much of the plain boy next door. Uh, maybe because there was a romantic uh, avenue to to get to know him. I like the old hippie. I thought it was well acted. The mother did a could have kind of is she going to be a Glenn Close kind of crazy woman or not? And never did it. Uh, seven. She was total. very angry about her internet, wasn't she? Uh, she was really angry. Yeah, yeah. Maybe because she'd been acting with Nicholas a little too long. But yeah, seven out of ten for the acting. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I'll give it. Yeah, I'll give it a seven as well. Yeah. That seems very why fair. not? As we have said, this is perfect role for Nicholas Cage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Nicholas. But he can be a bit much. He can be a bit much. His, he does a lot of work, doesn't he? You, he will take almost any job. You know, if you want somebody... If you want your uncle to dress in kind of uh, leopard, leopard print, lame spandex and shoot shotguns in the ceiling kind of thing, <laughs> if that's the kind of uncle you like, then Nicholas, not Bob, is your uncle, you know, and it, it fits sure. him. He's your man. Think of all the great movies that he's been in, where he's been that out of control, oversized character. He's that again, and it, it's perfectly suited, suited to the movie and the role. Right, special effects, Richard. What do you think about that? Pretty good here, actually. I'm going to have to go it's... full ten. Wow. Yes. Wow. I wouldn't go that far. Oh no, ten. Ten. I'll give it a strong eight, but wow. Well, I have to go ten. If only okay. for the unicorn-coloured carnivore mutated. Fused alpacas. I mean, <laughs> if Jeff Minter didn't write computer games and wrote uh, wrote and directed movies, that would be Jeff Minter's vision. It was just com- for, me, for me at the moment. The S effects were complete at that moment, but just really good. You're committing Nothing the same sin much. here. What? It, Jeff Minter was llama soft, not alpaca soft. Oh darn! Exactly. Well, I'm sure he wouldn't quibble about that. Well, I ask again, what's the difference between a llama and an alpaca? You don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know. We're going to find out next week, aren't we, when I apologise for all my misstatements about, about mohair. But I, what I would say is the S effects were proportionate. It was, I mean, it was over the top, but it was never over the top over the top all the way through. It was over the top in the right places. And it wasn't so much of too too little or too much as a good too much of a good thing. There was just the right amount of special effects in the movie for what the movie needed, and that's why I get it a 10. So, scripts and storyline and stuff. Yeah. Where do we normally put action? Oh, with special effects, don't we? With special effects, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah. Uh, I liked it. Old-fashioned script, old-fashioned story. I'm going to give it a, a roundly well-performing 7. It's a classic author, right? Lovecraft. Yeah. He has endured for good reason, I think. As I say, I think he... He's a racist. ...has contributed... 
He, yes, I think he, he was a proper racist. But <laughs> all that aside, I mean, they're trying to rehabilitate him, aren't they? I imagine that Ward wouldn't have been non-white in Lovecraft's original ah, conception. okay, I see. And, you know, give him his due. He, he's written a reasonably interesting story here, so I'll give it a uh, seven. And overall then, Paul? Overall for me, I really enjoyed this. It's a recommend. Uh, it was a bit slow going. Uh, it was a bit slow going to begin with. If I could ignore that, I'd give it a nine, but I can't ignore that. I did have to struggle to get halfway through the movie. I put it down twice before I could pick it up again. And for that reason, it only gets an eight. I will give it a seven. Okay. Why am I marking it lower than you? Let me think. I mean, I think it is... <laughs> am I usually a swinging marker? Sometimes, yeah. Oh, but okay. My misgiving about it is simply that it is... It's a straight horror, right? Maybe that's a bit old-fashioned these days. You don't get so many of them, do you? It feels like. Do you know the clicking kind of growling noises the aliens made in Alien? It does that. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, when they're about to kill Mum, and Lavinia shouts, Mum, which is rather generous because she mutated into something that was not human. The kind of drooling teeth. I thought it was going to be the like teeth within teeth thing you get. You know where you get teeth within teeth that shoot out the teeth? Like the second set of jaws. I was expecting that. But we didn't get it. But the fact I was expecting it means that the special effects were really working here. Do you know what? I'm going to change my mark to an eight. Mm-hmm. I think it is better than I'm yeah. initially giving it. Because I'll tell you why. It is. The, one of the things about uh, this and Lovecraft's idea of horror that sets it apart from most of the other horror we might have watched mm-hmm. is in your average horror, the characters, they respond with acute shock oh my God, you know, they're terrified. They might freeze in catatonia or whatever uh, in fear. Yes. They'll run away, they'll panic, flight or fight. All of that is the normal character responses. But what Lovecraft does so much better than almost every other horror you'll see is the characters lose their minds. And that's what you see in this film. (laughs) So, yeah. I give it an eight. They They do lose their minds completely. And who wouldn't, you know? Uh, given the horrific circumstances. Mm. Cannot get the internet to work properly. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've all been there, haven't we? Aside from apologies that need to come about Mohair and Angora and potentially alpacas and llamas next week, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? Now, Mm. Paul, it falls to you then to provide me with... Your choice, or choices, for next week's movie. Now, are you excited to choose? I'm always excited to choose, you know that. Okay. Because it makes me feel like I've got agency in life. <laughs> Look, let's think about this. We've got, I've got three to suggest to you. I don't know how you feel about that. That's one more than three. I would need for a choice, isn't it? Okay. Well, what's your first one, then? Okay. I'm, sorry, I'm just trying to scroll to my, to my suggestions. Here we go. Okay, the first one is Cabin in the Woods. From 2014, ah. and it's a UK production. So, continuing the horror theme, or is it? Yes, is it maybe or a science fiction in disguise? Well, yeah. number two definitely is a science fiction. That is Prospect from 2019. Oh, now that's an interesting movie because I think it might be a development from a shorter version on oh, YouTube, wow. similar vein maybe to uh, to Beyond. Beyond. Yeah. Number three definitely is science fiction of a certain kind. That is Infinity Chamber from 2017. Can I just say that these expressly have not been presented to you on account of being free on Amazon Prime? My choice is going to be because it's going to be I what? happen to know... I'm on hooks. I happen to know that Infinity Chamber description makes it sound a bit like the opposite of the AI in a box problem that we have discussed oh. before. So I'm going to What's go for that? Infinity a Chamber. not in AI. Well, is it opposite in every in, level, in, on every level? I think in Infinity Chamber, we're talking about a person trapped in a box by an AI, aren't we? Ah, Isn't that the description? We had a similar one, didn't we, with the... with the, with the uh, Hugelias. What's he called? What's he called? The Spanish one where you had to walk across... The Spanish actor had to walk across half the desert to, to get... <laughs> Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas. Didn't he have to escape from a box with AI or something? No, they had AI in an AI box. That was it. They had yes, AI in right. an AI box. But here we've got a human in an AI box. That was auto- Automata, wasn't it? That one, I think, that you're talking about. But yes, sorry, oh, we're going know. with... Yes, Automata, yeah. Infinity Chamber. We're going with Infinity Chamber. Infinity Chamber. And that is human in an AI, AI box. So this is human in an AI box. Can I confirm that? Correct, yes. 
Oh, cool. Well, we'll see if they get out. I guess they do. That's my guess. I could be wrong. So, I hope you've enjoyed joining us today to look at some classic HP Lovecraft horror reshot. Until next time, when we were watching what? Infinity Chamber. Indeed. Which is free on Amazon Prime. I guess it's kind of time to cue the music, is it not? We better hope there's music this time and not just you speaking for two hours with no music (laughs) at the end of it. Please download episode 16 again. If you have been been harmed by this podcast in any way, don't don't ask us about it. Yes, we bear no responsibility, or if we do, we refuse to accept it. Cue music music. in three, two, Two, one. one. Thank you.